Chapter Eight of the Captain's Story. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. The Captain's Story by William S. Martin. Chapter Eight god moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform he plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will judge not the lord by feeble sense but trust him for his grace behind a frowning providence he hides a smiling face cooper about this time too i had got married being then about thirty-five years of age this was at liverpool and after the ceremony was over i called at the clergyman's house to get a certificate while he was writing it out for me i looked round the room and saw hanging on a wall that very portrait which you see over the looking-glass i started back with astonishment and began trembling violently so much so indeed that i was obliged to support myself by holding on to the table the clergyman asked me what was the matter oh nothing nothing at all it is only an attack of giddiness said i with my eyes still riveted on the portrait i seem to see my father alive before me with his eyes fixed upon me in anger and in my agitation i even fancied i saw the lips of the picture move and thought i again heard those terrible words my curse shall be upon you and follow you always no no i cried out loud being unable to overcome my terror oh do not do not curse me the clergyman filled with astonishment asked me the cause of so strange an exclamation i confess that it was the portrait of my father and my meeting with it so unexpectedly which had produced so strong an impression upon me upon this he took down the picture and showed me by the name on the back that i was mistaken in thinking it was my father's portrait it being that of an english clergyman who had been dead for some years so that the resemblance was quite accidental he spoke also very kindly to me about the words i had used and gradually led me to tell him the story of my disobedience and my father's anger and took much pains to convince me that my father's curse could not exercise any unfavorable influence upon me if i had truly repented of those sins which provoked him to utter it and if as a proof of my sincerity i were now living a different life all his arguments however failed to quiet my conscience and i returned to my house much troubled in mind shortly after this i set out for another voyage 
but my late good fortune seemed to have deserted me we met with very rough weather before we had been a month at sea and in order to save the ship i was obliged to order a great part of the cargo to be thrown overboard so that when at length we arrived at our destination i found i had lost several hundred pounds on the voyage the homeward voyage was equally unfortunate and when after nearly twelve months absence i reached my home and found my dear wife ready to welcome me with our baby in her arms the joy of such a meeting was marred by the fear of the punishment of my disobedience might fall on the heads of those i loved i have little to tell you about the next six or seven years during which time my bad fortune still followed me and the state of my affairs grew gradually worse and worse one thing however i must relate i had been out one afternoon for a walk and on returning just at dusk i found a poor miserable-looking beggar with a wooden leg sitting on the grass near our cottage door eating some food which my wife had just given him i said a few words to him when i came up and as some of his answers interested me i asked him to stop a little while and give me an account of himself he began i was born at amsterdam and in a moment i recollected him he was no other than the very crimp whom i met on the quay when i first went to that city and who had decoyed me into his house where i was robbed and sent to sea as i have told you i said nothing however but let him go on with his story he told me that he had been once in business but had met with so many losses that at length he was obliged to go as a sailor in the english navy and that during an engagement he had received a bullet in his left leg which had to be amputated so that when he received his discharge he was compelled to get his living as he could while he was speaking a thousand recollections crowded on my mind and when he had finished i fixed my eyes sternly on his face and said do you remember me he said he had no recollection of ever seeing me before thereupon i told him the story of our meeting on the quay in amsterdam and reminded him of what had followed his treachery as i spoke somewhat loudly and angrily he became quite pale with terror and did not attempt to deny that he was the man who had used me so cruelly in fact he seemed quite paralyzed with fright don't be afraid of me i said god himself has punished your wickedness and i will not revenge myself on you only take yourself off from hence and never let me see you again the captain here broke off to ask the children whether they thought he had done well in acting thus oh yes certainly said mary you were surely right not to be revenged upon him that is true said willie but the bible says we are to love our enemies and i think sir if you had loved this man you would 
not have driven him away from you quite true my boy rejoined the captain and if i had followed the example of our blessed saviour i should have tried to help this man out of his troubles and endeavoured to obtain some influence over his heart and so have been really useful to him by leading him to see how wicked he had been but i could not do it i did not even know my own heart and i thought i was doing a wonderfully good action in not punishing him for his cruelty and inhumanity towards me i lived many years longer holding this good opinion of myself until god gave me the grace of humility and brought me by means of more troubles to know the wickedness of my own heart as my affairs became gradually more and more embarrassed i was often very much troubled on account of my children of whom i now too for during these few years all my savings had been expended and i could not see my way clearly to provide for their education as they grew up their promising dispositions were however a source of great satisfaction to me and i comforted myself with the hope that things might yet soon approve with me and that one or two successful voyages would place me in a position to provide for all their wants with my mind thus filled with mingled feelings of joy at my safe return to my family and anxiety for future welfare of those dependent upon me i returned one day late in summer of seventeen after three months voyage i had written to my wife a few days before to tell her when i should be home but having got into port a day earlier than i reckoned upon i anticipated giving my wife and children a pleasant surprise by my unexpected arrival even at this distance of time i can scarcely trust myself to speak of the terrible disappointment that awaited me on entering my college on entering my cottage instead of being greeted with the affectionate caresses of my dear wife and children i was surprised to see that the only person in the room was a good woman who lived in a neighboring cottage as she looked up and recognized me on my entrance something in her manner made me fear that all was not well with my family i eagerly inquired after them and the woman who was an old friend of my wife's burst into tears and in a few words told me the extent of the misfortune that had befallen me my two children for whose welfare i had been so anxious were both dead and my poor wife was confined to her bed by illness i learned afterwards for i was so overcome by the news of this awful calamity that i could not listen to the particulars just then that the two little ones had gone down to the seashore to play with a little companion about a fortnight before i reached home the last time they were seen alive they were amusing themselves in one of the fishermen's boats which was lying upon the beach 
by some means or another they must have got the boat afloat and so been carried out to sea unobserved the night proved very stormy and the next day the boat was seen floating bottom upwards out at sea and during the day their dead bodies were washed ashore the anxiety of my poor wife during that awful night and her great agony of sorrow on learning their unhappy faith had preyed so much upon her health that it was scarcely expected that she would ever recover from the shock i pass over the events of the next few days it would be too much for me even now to enter into any detail of the meeting between my wife and myself nor can i without tears think of her as i watch her day by day growing weaker and weaker within a fortnight after my arrival she too followed our children to the grave and i was left alone in the world this surely should have been enough to soften even a heart of stone like mine it was not however i only hardened my heart more and more this is the punishment of my disobedience i thought to myself the concluding words of my father's letter echoed again and again in my ears and instead of producing a good effect upon me only made me more obstinate in refusing to listen to the gentle approach of my saviour if i did not remember but too well my feelings at this time of my life i could not now believe that any poor wretched human being could carry his pride of heart and stubborn rebellion against god to such a pitch as i did in order to divert my mind from the harassing reflections which beset me and made the solitude of my once happy home intolerable instead of bowing to god's holy will and recognizing as i can do now the fact that all that had befallen me was sent in love to my soul by a heavenly father who is too wise to err and too good to be unkind i sought relief where no one ever yet found it by giving myself up to those bad habits which had been the cause of all my misery i spent my whole time in the society of wicked and thoughtless men and turned a deaf ear to the recomstances of my real friends there were many who expressed the deepest sympathy with me in my sorrows and made many vain efforts to recall me to a sense of my duty but i disregarded all their kind exhortations and always answered sullenly what is the use of my trying to do right i am under a curse such a state of things could not last long for the last year or two my income had been insufficient to support my family and i had unavoidably contracted some few debts and now my extravagances rapidly increased them my creditors soon began to importune me for payment and after putting them off from time to time 
I was obliged to tell them that I was utterly and hopelessly bankrupt. I was then brought before the court, and my ship, my house, and all my goods were ordered to be sold, and these being insufficient to meet the claims against me, I was thrown into prison. Then, indeed, my cup of sorrow was full. Again I heard my father's maldiction sounding in my ears, and this time, without being able to down the painful memory in the riotous pleasures of the world, and though in my former troubles I had not shrunk from upbraiding God's providence for oppressing an innocent man, as I called myself, I could not but feel that this new misfortune was the just consequence of my own folly and extravagance. I was now forced to listen to the reproaches of a conscience racked with remorse. Nevertheless, I could not yet resolve to recognize the justice of God. I obstinately resisted his appeals and still remained impenitent. I cannot tell what I might have become while in prison, had I been left altogether to myself. All men seemed to have forgotten me entirely, but God had not even then deserted me. He had found pity on me in my extremity, and by an extraordinary dispensation of his providence sent to me that very clergyman in whose house I had seen the portrait which so resembled my father. My first words when I saw him were, You see, I was right. My father's curse is following me, and you see to what a state it has brought me. No, replied he, this is not the effect of your father's anger. It is the consequence of the curse of sin. If you had seriously turned to God, he whose property is always to have mercy and to forgive who assuredly have delivered you from that curse and would have turned it into a blessing. I refused to listen to these words and obstinately persisted in saying that God had doomed me to misery and that nothing could alter my fate. Take care said the clergyman solemnly, that you do not provoke God's anger still more by your rash and inconsiderate words. He has surely shown you, plainly enough, that to rebel against him is the act of none but a madman. Tell me, have you ever tried to free yourself from your load of sin? Have you ever prayed earnestly for God's help to deliver you out of your troubles? No, said I, I have never tried. I cannot do so. I am suffering beneath the weight of an unjust curse, while thousands of other men, who are worse than I am, never suffer any punishment at all, but prosper in all they undertake. My answer to that, said the good man, must be that you who have studied for the ministry, as you told me, must know on the authority of God's own word that one single sin is sufficient for a man's condemnation. 
how can you then dare to call your punishment unjust as to your objection that thousands of men are never punished for their offences in this world that can have no weight for even if no punishment reaches them here they cannot escape at the great day of judgment in the world to come you ought rather to thank god for the just chastisement you have received which is proof that his pity and his love are not yet wholly withdrawn from you every misfortune you have undergone is as the voice of god calling you to serious repentance remember whom the lord loveth he chasteneth and beware lest by your obstinacy you bring down his wrath upon your head i could not answer such arguments as these but though my reason was convinced my heart was untouched on leaving me the clergyman gave me a new testament and persuaded me to read it with attention and particularly recommended me to meditate prayerfully upon the epistle to the romans he then left me and promised to come and see me again when he had gone i thought to myself there could be very little good in my reading the book he had left me in my university studies i had read it so often that i knew pretty well what it contained and i did not expect to find anything in it that i did not know before accordingly i left it unopened for some days and it was only to divert my melancholy thoughts that i at length for want of anything else to read opened the testament and began to read the epistle to the romans is this indeed the same epistle that i used to read at the university was my first thought when i had read a few verses it was indeed the same word for word there was no alteration in the book but since i last read it i myself had undergone a change since that time i had passed through the rough school of adversity and the experience of years had shown me more than i knew of the corruption of my own heart when i read the words that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before god romans three nineteen i was filled with terror and to this was added an overwhelming sense of the infinite majesty of god whose goodness and justice i had so lately dared to question then i came to the passage for god hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all oh the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of god how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out for who hath known the mind of the lord or who hath been his counsellor 
or who hath first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again for of him and through him and to him are all things and to be glory for ever amen romans six thirty two to thirty six upon this a ray of hope dawned upon my heart and i cried out with emotion o god since thou hast mercy on all who come to thee have mercy also on me little by little my heart was softened and tears of true penitence streamed from my eyes i was weeping when the clergyman came to see me again god be praised said he as he entered seeing the tears in my eyes god be praised for he has had compassion on your soul i could not answer for my heart was too full for words he then knelt down with me and prayed with much earnestness that god would carry on the good work he had begun in me and as he prayed i was deeply affected and at last i too called aloud to god for mercy this cry was not in vain the peace of god descended upon my heart and i was enabled to believe in the possibility of obtaining pardon for all my sins though faith is a crucified saviour through faith is a crucified saviour after this i found myself in a much happier frame of mind i acknowledged that i had been a miserable sinner and that but for the infinite mercy of the most high i must have perished in my sins i saw now that all my misfortunes had been in reality a token of the loving kindness and tender mercy of him who willeth not the death of a sinner but rather that he should be converted and live the word of god which for so many years had been a dead letter to me had now become a source of sweet and life-giving nourishment to my soul and i spent the greater part of my time while in prison in reading and meditating upon the precious volume the clergyman offered to lend me some other books but i declined them all telling him that the book of books was enough for me after this worthy man had thus attended to my spiritual wants he busied himself in endeavouring to set me free from my unhappy confinement by his exertions and those of several friends whom he had interested in my behalf it was not long before i was set at liberty i was glad to be once more a free man but could not regret my imprisonment inasmuch as it was in the prison that i had been led to a knowledge of him whose service is perfect freedom the kind of friends who had interested themselves in me provided me with a small sum of money which with which i took a little cottage by the seaside and having bought a small boat and some nets i was able to get my living all through the summer as a fisherman 
and supported myself during the winter by making baskets which i sold in the neighboring town i begged my good friend the clergyman to give me the portrait so like my father which had caused me such terror when i first saw it in his house but which i could now look upon without distress of mind knowing that i had obtained grace and pardon from my heavenly father on receiving it i hung it up over the fireplace in my humble cottage end of chapter eight recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c